if you were to go and say, all right, I want to be an engineer or a, a lawyer or an accountant, you would probably spend four or five or six or seven years training. You would spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars getting to the point where you could actually do something to produce. Somehow people think with investing that they day one, without training, without investing money, without spending anything that could be on losses, they're just going to start making money. That's insane. And when people lose money, they go, man, it didn't make money. I'm like, did you make money when you went to college? No, you spent money. It's the same thing. You literally have to spend four or five years learning, stubbing your toe, bleeding a little bit, maybe bleeding a lot. I mean, I've lost everything three different times going back to zero. It's not fun. Didn't kill me though. And it also made me realize that no matter what, nothing's going to eat me. Let's get ready to scale. Hey guys, welcome to yet another episode of Ready to Scale. I'm Jeanette Friedrich, your host. Joining me today is Damien Lupo. Now, Damien has a really interesting story, and I think you guys are going to love hearing about it. Before we jump into it, though, please don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel. I've challenged my team to double or triple. I can't remember exactly what the challenge was, but I've given my team a big challenge. And so they've asked me to remind you to please make sure that you subscribe to our channel so we can continue to help it grow. Now, jumping in, Damien is a seasoned entrepreneur who has built multiple companies from $0 to $100 million in 25 years uh, throughout his career. He has all kinds of different businesses. He's written 12 books, and he's known for basically being able to coach and really help uh, people create very successful multi-million dollar ventures. He's currently the CIO of FrameTech, as well as the creator of the EQRP system, which stands for Enhanced Qualified Retirement Planning. It's an IRS-approved re uh, retirement system, allowing investments in real estate, promissory notes, limited partnerships, precious metals, and other alternative assets. He attended the Thunderbird School of Global Management with a focus on international business and also holds a CCIM designation which stands for Certified Commercial Investment Member. Basically, it means he knows a lot of stuff about investing and he's actually good at it. And he is joining us today from Flagstaff, Arizona. So Damien, welcome to the show. Hey, Jeanette. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm delighted to talk to you. I really am. So I was looking through your LinkedIn profile you know, to prepare for our uh, interview today. And I saw two sentences that made me like stop and say, okay, I've got to talk to this guy. So these are the two sentences that I read. My net worth plummeted from 20 million to a negative 5 million in 12 months when the real estate market crashed in 2008. In the same year, I had major health issues, including living at the Mayo Clinic for a while trying to survive. Wow, those are two very powerful sentences. Um, you know, I would love to hear about how this all happened. Well, I, I think what it, what it really comes down to is, is my ego is driving a ship and it took me off a cliff. And, and this happens to a lot of people, uh, and, and it's really not exclusive to men necessarily. Uh, I mean, I happen to be one, but I think this probably happens with women, but men especially get really screwed up with their ego trying to be King Kong and, and, it, and, 
ultimately in America, there's a lot of focus on more. If we look at social, there's, there's nowadays, back when I, 25 years ago, when I started, there really wasn't social. There's was barely the internet, but you've got this pressure to have more and never, it's never enough. And when I was, when I was starting my real estate career back in the, in 1999, the, the First house I bought as, a, as an investment in New Year's Eve, 1999, I put on my credit card and I thought, okay, cool. I'm in the game. I have no idea what I'm doing. And then I just kept grinding and over a five-year period, bought 150 houses and became a multimillionaire. And that was, that was pretty good, you know, being basically a college dropout and, and then going from really not having anything. I mean, I had to buy the house on my credit card. I didn't have any money. And so building up this, this net worth and this success story, and ultimately I bought a Ferrari. So I thought I was Will Smith you know, from Bad Boys 2. Like that was my whole thing. It was about, I want to prove to everybody that I've made it. And, and it was about, it was about other people's opinion, other people's judgment that mattered to me more than really anything else. So I think what happened is God said, all right, you're, you're dumb. This is not the right path. And so there was, there was a reckoning and 2008 happened to be a good time for that for me and probably a lot of other people. And, and, and ultimately everything was taken away and I was wrong. And it was because I was focusing on more, I wasn't more stuff, more money. It wasn't really focusing on, on more impact. And that was the big, the big pivot that happened from then afterwards, because I think it takes a humbling event for, for people to really have their ego and their pride uh, knocked down and brought back, brought back down to earth, and that's that's what happened. Going from twenty million to negative five million, being homeless, living in my car for a little while, like that's you know you go from driving a, a quarter million dollar rocket to living in a car that's not a Ferrari. And, and honestly, you wouldn't want to live in a Ferrari; they're not very big. But the the, the it actually that'd be a terrible experience. But the 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 point of all that is is that I had to go through that process, and in the middle of it, it sucked. It was terrible. At having people chase me for money and and debt collectors and I mean you imagine it's it's a horrible experience and it doesn't matter whether it's twenty million that's lost or twenty thousand if it's everything you've got plus more and people have said wow I only lost twenty or fifty or hundred thousand and what's what's it like and I go well when it's everything everything materially goes away I mean I lost my girlfriend I lost my dog I like lost like it, it all went away and and that process brought me into a, a really healthy place after a few years of therapy and introspective work and writing a book about it called reinvented life. It was, it, it was a useful process that was hell to go through and a gift from God to, to be on the other side of. Wow. Wow. Very powerful. Um, if you don't mind me being too nosy, but you did kind of throw it out there. What uh, health issues did you end up running into in the midst of all this also? Well, one, one of the things that I learned, I, I was, I was, nauseous for two straight years. And, and I had a lot of, there was syncope where you just pass out and like the unexplained, just literally pass out. And this isn't supposed to happen when you're in your twenties. I didn't have any issue. Like I didn't have cancer, which also I think is a symptom of other stuff. But the, the reality was I had all this stress coming into my life and I didn't have an outlet. This is really common when people have these different ailments, whether it's Crohn's or, or I believe even cancers, a lot of things that are out there, it's because there's energy that's stuck in the body somewhere. And this is, I mean, think about stress. If, if you dig a little bit, most people, if they dig, Google it, stress is like becoming, if not the biggest killer of, of especially Americans, because it's all about this anxiety about more and, and chasing and we can't afford things. And it, it happens to do, it's all about money. 
And so the stress is what built up in my system. And when I was, when these things were happening, that was, a, I thought, oh, I've got a disease. I didn't have a disease. I had symptoms of way too much stress with no outlet. I wasn't processing it. And I, and I, I was doing things that were creating it. So ultimately, I think that's what was driving it. When I went to the Mayo Clinic, I got poked and prodded and, and stuck and, and scoped. And it was quite the experience. Uh, it was it was like you know, lobotomy without losing something. But basically what they came back and said was, you know, you've got you've got some gallstones. And I said, perfect, that'll solve the problem. Fix it. Let's cut it. So they cut my gallbladder out. And and that didn't solve the problem. That that that's like drugs. In most cases, drugs solve the symptom. It's kind of like when you have, you know, somebody has indigestion. Well, Pepto-Bismol is just masking the problem. It's not actually solving the underlying issue, which is you're eating like and you're probably drinking too much stuff that's acidic. So that was the same thing. I was putting all this acid into my system spiritually. And, and ultimately, I thought, oh, Pepto-Bismol, which is a surgeon cutting out an organ, was going to solve it. That didn't do anything because the stress was still there. I had to go deeper and really start asking questions through therapy and changing my, my practices of life. That's what really has to be done, but that's the hard work. And I think one of my takeaways, big takeaway was most people don't want to do the hard work. Like I had to change who I was. That's why I wrote that book, Reinvented Life. I believe that anybody can change. I believe that most people won't change. I believe that most people that you you meet 20 years ago are going to be the same person, a little bit different looking 20 years later, but they're underlying going to be the same because changing the the makeup, the material, the DNA of somebody is, is so hard. There's so much energy you have to put into that to change that. There's a thing called uh, Prigogine's theory of dissipative structure where you put pressure on a system and, and you do that enough, you turn coal into diamonds. That hurts a lot. And that's what we did on me. We literally put that much pressure and turned this lump of coal, if you will, because that's kind of what I was, into more of a diamond, which I I think is entirely cool and possible, but almost nobody does it. And that that was what I chose to do. And then I followed through, which is that's all the work. And that's that's the hard part. And I it's but it is possible. And that's that's the exciting part. No matter where you're at, no matter what you screwed up, you literally can change if you choose to do the work. You can't change just because you decide to change. You can change if you're willing to do the work day after day, week after week. And oftentimes it takes years, which is what it took for me. Wow. Very powerful and, and also very inspiring. And, uh, you know, I, I highly doubt that you have any insight into my own background, but the way that I ended up into getting into real estate in the first place was because my daughter became very, very sick. And we were living in and out of the hospital uh, that ultimately ended up being several years of living in and out of a hospital. And she actually has Crohn's uh, as well as, you know, some other autoimmune issues. And that's how I actually stumbled into real estate. Uh, but I can really appreciate everything that you're saying, um, you know, because initially I thought it was the death of my career. I had resigned from my job and was completely unemployed for a period of time because I wanted to make sure that my daughter would qualify for all those medical services that she would need. And I knew that it was going to be astronomical, the medical bills. And, you know, I had to make some really hard and very humbling choices, um, you know, for the, the greater priorities, of course. And so it is, it is an incredible experience to go through. And I think unless you've actually experienced something like this, you're just you and it's it's no fault to other people it's just that it's, i think a lot of people simply haven't had to face these types of intense experiences and work 
through them. And I know for, you know, my daughter, her health has um, improved a good bit, but it has been very much so through uh, working with a chronic illness therapist uh, and also medical marijuana. It's revolutionized the kid's life. I mean, it really has. So uh, coming from Texas, we now live in Massachusetts. It was like, I so wish she could have had access to this. It, it could have saved her and maybe kept her in school, you know? Um, I don't know, but very interesting. So I can really appreciate the takeaway that you've come out of a scenario like that. The other option is that people become incredibly bitter and feel sorry for themselves the rest of their life. And that's a horrible way to live. And so it is hard, but you know, you pick the high road and I, I really commend you for it. I appreciate that. One of, one of the things there's, there's a saying that you are what you eat. And I think that this is literally what you eat and what you consume. Uh, unfortunately, I've traveled all, all over the world. And one of the, one of the craziest things about the United States, and this is, I mean, this is not just my opinion. This is just a fact. We are literally killing ourselves inside out with what we're putting in our system. And this includes our food. This includes the, the toxic media, the stuff that the energy that we're putting in when, when I travel to Europe, one of the interesting things there is a lot of times people that have issues with uh, intestinal issues and such, those those things don't happen in Europe. And, and one of the reasons is because the food's not poisonous. It's not GMO. It's literally outlawed. I didn't know this until this last year that Gatorade and Carnation are actually outlawed in, in Europe because of the GMO, because they're so fake. Skittles are outlawed. And I used to eat Skittles by the gallons as a kid. And I'm thinking, great, my parents were poisoning me and they didn't know. They were just like, man, he loves this. Well, yeah, because it's a freaking drug. And, and unfortunately, we don't think about this. And it's it's hard. I mean, I, I can say this and people can say, well, you don't know. It's hard. It's stressful I'm because I'm not a parent. and And I get that. And it is, it's a lot of energy and it's a lot of effort to change and to say, okay, I'm going to, even for me as just a single person, it's a lot of energy to do the work to say, okay, I'm only, I'm going to grow food. I'm going to do organic. I'm going to, I'm going to not consume media. That is a brutal, hard thing because everything is different around me. Going out to eat is almost impossible. Like, so I empathize for the the real struggle that's going on. And that's part of the problem. I, I know that there's other stuff with autoimmune that's triggered by other things, but the reality is at this point in time in, in this country, we have more illness and more diabetes and more obesity. And why? And we're, and I don't think we're asking that question. All we're doing is pilling everything. It's like more pills, more pills, more pharma. And to your point about medical marijuana, I couldn't agree more. It's really disgusting to me that you have people in places like Texas or Alabama that have so many cool things. Cause I used to live in Alabama and Texas and, and there, and you have people because of philosophical or religious zealotry around not, not thinking that weed is, is somehow, it, it's somehow bad. They think that it's, it's not a good thing. And I think that they're idiots. I think that they have no idea what they're talking about. I think that there's a power there with nature. I mean, I just moved back out to Arizona because I wanted to be connected to nature because to me, the most honest thing in the world that we'll ever experience is nature, including plants. And so for people to say somehow that, that that's, that they demonize that, and then they'll go pop a thing and put an aspirin in their mouth. I think they're completely hypocritical. So uh, kudos to you for what you did and, and, um, bringing that up. Cause I think that that is something everybody should be thinking about because we are literally killing ourselves with our dogma. 
Yeah, absolutely. I definitely agree. It's uh, it, it is ridiculous. So this plant is great. We can use this to make medicine and do this and this, but that plant, not that plant, that's a bad plant. You know, right. it makes no sense. Uh, agreed. A hundred percent. I mean, I could easily go off on a tangent about all of this for a long time, but I want to make sure that we still get in some additional uh, subject matters that we're going to talk about today. So, you know, how, how did you start the rebuild process for yourself from, you know, kind of your financial standpoint? And how did that lead you to actually, you know, creating EQRP? Like, how did all this stuff happen? So it's interesting. I had a, a couple conversations that really impacted me. One was with a mentor and one was with my dad. Uh, the mentor, I went in and, and I remember sitting down with him and I said, man, I just got, I just lost everything. Plus I had some partners that I, I took care of for five years while we were building and then they screwed me. And, and I was, I was playing a little victim card there. And I said, I was supposed to, there was a deal and these guys pocketed $8 million and, and I was a partner, but then they cut me out of the deal at the last minute. So I, I said, this is, I, I was mad. Like I really wanted revenge. And and, and he said, at some point, that will not be relevant. That number will be insignificant. I was like, I'm literally at zero. I have nothing. I'm homeless. I'm like hanging out with him at Starbucks. And, and he... And he said, I'm just, just, I'm just telling you. And this is the value of having mentors that are bald or grayer decades beyond you in terms of life, because they can see around the corner. You're too, I mean, we're just, we're too young wherever we are to know what it's like 20 years down the road. Cause we haven't been there yet. So I said, all right, fine. I heard him, but I was still annoyed. And, and then I had a conversation with my dad a few weeks before he died, when he told me he had stage four cancer. And, and he said, yeah, we were sitting and he said, you know, there were so many things that I wanted to do. And the piercing of, of regret burned into my soul in that, in that moment. And I said, oh, damn. So he didn't have any time. He ran out of time. And that's where most people are going to be. Whether you're at the end of your life now, at some point, you're going to be at the end of your life. And unfortunately, I would say that most people are going to say, God, there's some regrets. And why? Why is that? Because for a lot of people, they hesitate because they feel like they don't have the financial resources. They just don't go and do the things. They don't live the life. They don't They don't tap into their potential. So those things really hit me. And so when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, the first thing I had to do was get clear on who the heck I was. And that was some work I did for a couple of years uh, with a, a friend, a mentor, who also I, I studied martial arts with for a number of years. And and he he asked me one question for, for two years. And every week we sat there and he basically asked the question, what is true. And so we just dug deeper and deeper and deeper. And that work is hard. You have to go deeper. And then you're, and then somebody says, great, what else? And you're going deeper and you're peeling back onions and the, getting to the core of that. What I realized is that it's not about more stuff for Damien. It's, it's about tapping into my soul as, as a teacher, as, as somebody that's gone through things and teaches, not somebody that read a book and is teaching from, from the, from the ivory tower based on not really doing something, but teaching from experience. And that's, that's more of a mentoring role versus a coaching role. I think there's a lot of people that are, that are coaching or they're teaching in schools and they have no idea what they're talking about. All they're doing is regurgitating. They're basically a bunch of parrots. I don't have a lot of respect for that. I think that that's nonsense. And I needed, I felt compelled to go out and, and start teaching something based on that experience. That's what it took for me to get to the place where I said, okay, how can I then do that? And that's where EQRP got launched and the stuff I'm doing now with Frametech. It all has to do with that mission about breaking people's financial bondage so that they're not living a life of quiet desperation, tiptoeing safely to death's door, only to live in that moment where they say, damn, there's so many things I wanted to do. That was that was the pivotal time for me to shift and start finding ways. So I got the why. 
Once you get the why, the how is like, all right, there's a million hows. What is the how I'm going to go after first? And that's where the retirement stuff came in because most people are so afraid of running out of money. They, they play scared. They play not to lose. And if you've ever seen a, a team playing not to lose, they lose. So this is a way for me to say, okay, let me give you some ideas, some tools, and, and a path towards playing to win. That's what we all want. There's nobody that you're going to find that says, I want to lose. Like that, that, that doesn't make any sense. We're not built that way. So that's, that's what the life, my life work has been and will continue to be is, is helping people win with, with their money to give them choices so that they end up at the end saying, damn, that was amazing. Very cool. Very cool. I love it. Um, now, what is the difference between like EQRP and like a self-directed IRA? Like, you know, you have to break it down for me. Like I'm a five-year-old kind of thing. Choice and power. There's ultimately the my, my one of my core philosophies is self responsibility. I, I think, like Larry Winget says, your life is your own damn fault. And unfortunately, we've been taught to blame somebody else. We blame politicians, we blame our teachers, we blame our parents. I, the amount of times that I've heard somebody say, "Well, this goes back to my childhood," I'm like, "Oh, f off!" Like, what are you? Stop with your childhood. You don't get to use that as a crutch. Not with me. Go talk to somebody that cares. I don't care what your story is that you're not willing to process. You're living in your story. You've got a bad partner from ten or fifteen years ago you have a bad ex-spouse like you've got something and you're you're literally using that as an excuse to do the work so that so here's the difference between the eqrp and everything else out there the eqrp puts all the control and all of the outcome in your hands there's nobody else that like you are literally going to get a checkbook you're going to get control of your retirement money and your financial future and it's up to you and that's the difference with everything else. Even a self-directed IRA, there's custodians. You don't, you don't actually get to hold your money. You've got to have somebody else giving you permission. To me, that's nonsense. The EQRP is built for people that say, all right, I trust me. I honestly, Jeanette, don't think that most people trust themselves. And so they say, okay, I need mommy and daddy as a financial advisor or a custodian to give me permission on what I can do. If I'm going to blow my nose, I need to make sure it's okay. And I think that that's the problem. People aren't willing to say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take responsibility. And if I F it up, that's on me. All the other systems out there, whether it's Wall Street, financial advisors, mutual funds, self-directed IRAs, they all have somebody else involved. The EQRP has a support network. It's kind of like having mentors and coaches. You're still the one that has to carry the ball. You're the one that decides if you run off the field, out of bounds, you run into somebody, you make a touchdown, whatever you're going to do. That's the difference. It gives you all the power, all the choice, all the control. You can invest in real estate. You can invest in gold. You can invest in Bitcoin. You can invest in in, in your neighbor's business. You can do all these things. And I mean, it's, it's almost anything. It's unbelievable what you can do. The difference is you're in control. Nothing else like this in the world exists where you have control and you have the ability to do it tax-free. That's why people love it. Very interesting. Very interesting. Just to be the devil's advocate, how dangerous is that? Because, you know, basically, what if someone doesn't have enough expertise or sophistication when it comes to investing and they find themselves, you know, repeatedly making terrible investment decisions and, you know, losing all of their money? How do you how does the program try to compensate for that potential? I shared my goals with my friends and family, well, over two decades ago. Um, one thing that I always heard was that I'm aiming too high, that I have too big of dreams and I'm going to crash and burn. And I never understood that. I never understood why everyone around me was thinking too small. I've always wanted to um, reach the stars and beyond. I actually had saying um, that the sky is not the limit. It's just plan B because I was aiming to reach much higher than the sky.
fast forward to today, I want to share with you how I did it. This is not get rich quick. I don't believe in it. It took me a while to get here with hard work, with dedication, um, and with a lot of grit. And so I took all that knowledge and I packaged it in one easy to read book. This book is, it's not filled with slogan or feel good, um, you know, kind of a paragraph, but it's, it's really with actionable, really easy to follow advice that you can implement, um, you know, tomorrow. To get a limited time opportunity to access this guide, which I call the ultimate guide for creating and preserving your wealth, visit our website at lake-capital.com. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a great question. So imagine imagine somebody that gets a scalpel and and you say, okay, is it dangerous? Well, I don't know. It depends. Did you have 15 years of training or did you just take a scalpel and take a bunch of LSD? You're probably really dangerous with LSD. And that's the equivalent of somebody getting a bunch of money, whether it's a retirement account or anything else, and, and having a big idea, no training. They're literally like a cracked out you know, drug addict where they're literally out there with this money, which is fuel. And, and it is incredibly dangerous. So what's, what's the remedy you get trained, you spend time learning, you go around people that have done it. Like what, what do surgeons do? They go around other doctors, they learn they're they have mentors, they have training. And I think the danger to your point is it's exactly right. People that take their money and go, I'm in control. You know what that is without any training that's called ego. I got money and I'm a badass. Yeah, you're a badass. You're about to lose your money and you're going to feel real bad. Mm -hmm. So that that's that's what I've seen consistently that people that let their ego drive it are very very dangerous. So I think it's a it's an important thing to consider. And quite frankly, there are a lot of people that don't want to take the responsibility. They want the money, they want the choice, but kind of they don't. They want somebody else to tell them what to do because they're really just like 40-year-old children. They want to be told by mommy and daddy what to do. And and I've gotten to the point where I'm just I'm I'm not going to pull punches. I'm I'm going to call it out like it is. People are they they never grew up. There's a lot of Peter Pans running around that want to blame somebody else. And and the reality is you're going to make mistakes. Like I don't care what it is. There's there's mistakes and and you're going to lose money. There's there's a great a great thinking around this that if you were to go and say, all right, I want to be an engineer or a, a lawyer or an accountant, you would probably spend four or five or six or seven years training. You would spend hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars getting to the point where you could actually do something to produce. Somehow people think with investing that they, day one, without training, without investing money, without spending anything, that could be on losses, they're just going to start making money. That's insane. And when people lose money, they go, man, it didn't make money. I'm like, did you make money when you went to college? No, you spent money. It's the same thing. You literally have to spend four or five years learning, stubbing your toe, bleeding a little bit, maybe bleeding a lot. I mean, I've lost everything three different times going back to zero. It's not fun. Didn't kill me though. And it also made me realize that no matter what, nothing's going to eat me. And I think a lot of people think that there's a damn dinosaur in the woods that's going to come over and eat him if they make a mistake. Like our primal instincts think the saber-toothed tiger is going to jump out from behind the tree and eat you. It's not. It's just money. Money is an idea we can create. I've done this multiple times. And who am I? I'm a, I'm a college dropout. I literally got thrown out of school because I thought it'd be smarter to start a bookstore in my room than to go study the, the math and the engineering classes. It's just because I was honoring and respecting who I was, but it didn't fit into the system. So, you know, I... I think honoring ourselves and allowing ourselves to make mistakes is is the power, and and that's where we end up finding the freedom. Beyond that, we're just going to be stuck being afraid.
Interesting. Interesting. I love your perspective. I mean, it's very refreshing. It's fun. Uh, it's a little dangerous, which is, you know, uh, it, honestly, it's required for any entrepreneur, I think, because you have to you have to be able to stomach risk, right, and be willing to take those risks. Um, you know, it, it's, yeah, very interesting. Very interesting. All right. And so, you know, I'm curious, too, as a serial entrepreneur, because, you know, people have dreams, right? Fantasies about kind of doing what you've done, right? Some some people think, oh, man, I want to be a serial entrepreneur. I want to have a bunch of companies. You know, of course, much easier said than done. But I'm curious as to how you've been able to successfully do it. Is it basically you come up with a great idea and then you go find smart people that you can hire to execute on it and then wash and repeat, wash and repeat? I mean, how have you, how have you done this or have you actually built each one of these businesses to a certain point before you go and start another one? That, that what you just said is what what a million people have written about, and it's very smart. It's it's to go do one, hire a bunch of smart people, build it with their expertise. And what did I do? No, I didn't do any of that. What I did is I went out there and started grinding on something and throwing a lot of mud all over the place. And for a long time, I would I would start I would do five or eight or ten different things at once. And let me tell you, anytime somebody says when I ask what do you what do you do what, like what do you spend your time doing what do you do for work, and they give me a list of more than one thing, I know they're screwed until they pick that one thing and do the thing it's and look I, I get it like people that are doing real estate investing they're investing in a and b and c and d and i'm like you're gonna have lukewarm results the only time you do a b and c and d is when you have 10 20 50 100 million dollars when you have when you have less than a million bucks you should be narrowly focusing on one thing and people go what about all my eggs in one basket i'm like you're gonna understand the damn basket like you're gonna get really good at that one thing and you're gonna actually make you're gonna make some some progress there Throwing money around, you're just going to learn a lot of different ways of, of losing money. But frankly, if you make money, it's an accident. That's what happened the last decade. People that were making money was primarily an accident. They, they caught a wave. It's not because they actually understood fun fundamentals. And, and people that said, well, I invested in five apartments and they all did well. You got really lucky because interest rates were dropping and people were flooding the market with capital. That is not normal. That's, I mean, it, so, so that that's... That there's, I think we have to be in reality around uh, around what it takes. It takes narrow focus. It takes focusing on that one thing and then going deep into it. I, I've had seventy plus companies, probably close to eighty now that I've done. Most of those, more than half, I don't know what the number is, but most of those were absolute seminars. And then what that means is I spent a lot of money to learn new things. I did not make money. I lost money. And I would say what I did is I didn't necessarily lose money. I invested in deeper learning on things. And I took that and leveraged it into the next thing. And I think that that's, that's the thing people, everybody wants to have a grand slam on their first swing and they go, yeah, I don't want to strike out. All right. Really? I mean, imagine what we've been taught that if you, in school, if you get, if you get less than six out of 10, right you're a failure. Literally, not, not only did you fail, but you're a failure. You're, you're going to be, you're going to be told by everybody you're a loser. And in the real world, six out of 10, you're a freaking billionaire. If you get, if you get three out of 10, you're a hall of famer in baseball. Like there is, there's this disconnect between reality and academia and where we were brain damaged with all the academia, which it, it's, it's why I think sending kids to public institutions full of teachers that are mostly Marxist is crazy. So I, I have a big problem with the system. And most people are like, they just don't want to do the work. And they're like, I'm too tired. I get it. It's exhausting. But we're not we're not acknowledging reality. If you want to be an entrepreneur, you got to go deep into something. And what do you have to go deep into? Solving a problem. People get 
screwed up because they chase the money. They don't chase the solution to a problem that's actually impacting people. They say, I just want the money. That's idiotic. That's the stupidest thing ever. You know what? It's going to come. It's going to go. I watch people making money and then the money goes away. It's because they weren't part of solving something. With the work that I'm doing now in frame tech that we're going to talk about, it's all about solving a huge problem with the housing crisis. And you know what's also interesting about that? It's very fulfilling. There's significance. There's a difference between success, which is where most people are, focusing on money and success and yay, bling, and significance with your life. Anybody that's deeply happy has found significance. It is not the money, I promise you. There is nobody that said, I made all the money, I didn't find significance, I'm happy. That's bull loney. It is not true. So if that's what you want, if you want to live a life that's miserable, go chase the money. You'll be chasing it your whole life and you'll never be happy and you'll die that way. That is that is the pivot. And that's a true entrepreneur is about the significance of creating something. It's about building something. It's about solving problems. That's what I'm doing. And, I, and everybody I see that's happy is doing something in, in some form of that. Love it. Love it. And that's actually a perfect segue because I was going to say like, what did you do? Did you just randomly wake up one morning and you're like, and now I'm into trusses. Trusses is the thing I'm into. So how did Frank Tech come about? And you know, what problems are you solving? Uh, God said trusses is what you should do. No, I'm, it, it, like, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't have that message, um, but I kind of did. So it's, it's interesting because when you do a bunch of stuff, if you pay attention to the signs, there's either resistance or there's flow. And, and if you pay attention, like for example, I went skydiving. I thought that'd be cool. Skydiving seems like an adrenaline fun thing to do. The first jump, I lost my right arm with atrophy. The, le the second time I lost my left arm, which is where it gets pinched. And then basically your muscle dissolves. And you have this hanging limb. So two, two jumps, two arms, the third jump, my chute failed and I had to cut it loose and almost died. And then the fourth jump, the space shuttle exploded over me literally in 2003. <laughs> so what does that mean? It means God's like, dude, wrong sport. Get and stop doing this. Like eventually we're going to have world war three. That's, I don't know what else is left. I mean, when a space shuttle explodes over you, the chances of that are you're, you're going to win the lottery 10 times before that actually happens. So so I think what, what happens is you, you have to be willing to go and, and do all the wrong things first. And then you go, okay, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. And then eventually something does work. It's just a matter of time. The, the, where there, there's a saying, um, I think it's a Chinese proverb that luck is when opportunity meets preparation. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's what happened. I mean, people, I know that from the outside, it looks like, wow, this is overnight. Like this thing that you're doing with trusses, with frame tech, it happened. It literally found out about what this got. This was introduced just under, uh, just under three years ago. We launched it about two years ago and our first plant comes online later this year. And this is a, this is a 111,000 square foot plant that will employ hundreds of people and will produce 3000 framed housing structures per year. And I had no sense of anything. I bought a lot of houses, but I didn't. I I, I built a few, and and so it's interesting. How did that happen? It's because I did seven hundred million things before it, and I kept I kept pushing forward, and then saying, "Okay, that worked. I learned here. That one didn't work. Okay, that one also didn't work," and just continuing to go through. So try, it, it wasn't an accident. It was providence. It it happened on purpose. I just had to do all the other stuff, and people go. I hear this all the time. Well, I want to, I want to do the, the thing. Like I want to find my frame tech. And I'm like, you got to find a lot of not frame techs first. You got to do all these things. The we're meant to be in motion. There's, there's a universal, uh, it's, it's a truth. It like we're humans are not meant to be sitting stagnant. 
Like that's, that's when we die. It's like the idea of retirement. What happens when people retire? If you look at social security statistics, it's getting worse. The average male in the United States is dead in less than three years after retirement. Why? Because the universe, God is like, you're not producing, you're not part of anything. You're taking up resources. I believe that there is an energetic spiritual component to this. If you check out Universe stops supporting you. I think they're why, why is Warren Buffett still cruising and, and crushing it in his 90s? Because he's still creating, he's still energized. The moment he says, I'm gonna retire, that dude be dead in a week. I, I mean, that's what happens. So so fi finding that thing that inspires you that you get to be a part of doesn't mean you don't recharge. I mean, this is I'm not saying go work 168 hours a week and don't sleep. What I'm saying is that. You have to find something that's meaningful. And when this when this project showed up, how, how did it show up? It it showed up because I had done the work to be ready to contribute to something that was this big. Because when these guys came in, they showed up and they said, we've got this incredible idea. These guys have been in the, in the trust manufacturing business in that industry for 50 years. And they had this idea. Marvin, our chief innovation officer, the other CIO, said, I have had this idea for more than for two decades this this in my brain i have this whole plant this idea this this really cool concept and i was like all right and people go why didn't he do it 20 years ago it's called 50 million dollars it takes a lot of fuel to go build something when you when people come visit this plant in arizona and they go wow this is two and a half acres under a roof and you've got all this stuff going on and you've got patented technology and you've got this system and that what I mean, it's 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 disruptive to the construction industry in the United States and, and really the world with what we've done. And how did this happen? It's because we had the ability, because of our experience doing a lot of things that didn't work, to be able to provide capital and expertise and join them. So you bring like you you'd asked about people coming together or hiring people. These people came in and we joined together as a team instead of going well. I need to do it all myself. It was, which is what I thought for a long time because people are going to screw me. Like that was a, it was a mental block I had. I realized that together we were going to be able to create this. They weren't going to be able to do it. We sure as heck couldn't do it. There were some Google guys that went in and tried to do something similar. And I think they spent about a billion dollars and it collapsed because they had no exper experience. They thought we're super smart. Again, what is that? That's ego. And so we came together and said, all right, we know what we're really good at. And you guys know what you're really good at. And we came together as partners. And then we came together with an additional several hundred people that invested in that project. And then it continues to grow. Now we have our second project, our second location. And we have we we have scoped out our third location in Texas that will be about 10 times as big. So after these two come online, like this is what happens when you go narrow into something. And why did we do it? Because everybody wins. Most things that are out there, especially like Wall Street, whether you look at how how we're pitched on CNBC, it's somebody wins and somebody loses. Usually, Wall Street wins and you lose. Like that's our system with money. In this case, everybody wins. Like they're the, every stakeholder, and and this isn't really like I used to think stakeholder was a dumb idea. It's about shareholders, and I've evolved my thinking. In this case, everybody wins. The investors make a fortune. The, the community has hundreds of jobs. For people that want to live in a rural community, these are really good jobs. The way that our culture is built, people are taken care of. It's a family. The environment works. The environment gets a big, a big boost because we're almost zero energy it brought in from the outside grid. It's almost all solar-based, so it's leads gold. Like there's All these things work together. There's no losers. The only yeah. losers, it's, it's not disrupting it.
So back it up just a little bit so listeners can understand what does the business do? That's a really good question. <laughs> what are you doing with this thing? Yeah, sorry. So so Frametech is it builds all the bones. It's a vertically integrated framing company. I mean, if you think about a house or an apartment, what is what is the core of it? What are the bones from from a body perspective? It's the floors, it's the walls, it's the roof trusses. It's all the wood. And so what we do is, is we take a house, somebody says, I want to build a house, any, any house. They give us the plans. Two weeks later, they have a framed house on their lot. They have an apartment in two months instead of 10 months. Normally, it takes about two and a half months for a house to be framed and built. And, and we, can, we can do that in 80% less time. So that's the first thing that we do that's really cool. It's way faster. It's not 10% faster. It's five times faster because it's in a, in a manufacturing plant. The other thing that's really interesting, if you've ever seen a construction project that has that on site, you see dumpsters and they're full of wood. There's just tons of waste. We have almost no waste at all because of our technology to be able to take wood, put these boards together, glue them through a finger joiner system, and then cut them to exact specifications. What does that do? It, it means that our dumpsters are empty. They don't, they don't have wood. I mean, there's instead of 20% waste, it might be 1% waste. It's and so that changes the impact on the environment. We're not filling up landfills, we're not cutting down tons and tons of trees unnecessarily. So those are those are two of the biggest disruptors where it's super fast and it's super clean and nobody has done that before. And it's, it's very, very hard to even do that because in construction, Jeanette, things don't change. The last big innovation was the, was the nail gun. That was like 50 years ago. Wow. So nothing really changes in this. The only other thing that's, that changes slower is education. Education and construction are the two slowest moving icebergs that exist in humanity. And we're, we're doing something to, to speed up the iceberg without, without global warming or whatever. Like this is, we're, we're doing something that is positively changing everything. Very interesting. Very interesting. Well, I definitely will uh, will be tracking on the journey and the development and progress of the company. It sounds really cool. Very cool. All right. Well, this has been really fun, Damien. Um, the last part of our show, we always ask all of our guests what we call the lightning round questions, which is five questions that I ask everybody. So are you ready? Let's go. All right. Perfect. So when you're not, you know, creating a bunch of businesses, learning, thinking, um, you know, analyzing problems to solve, what do you do for fun? Most of the time that I, uh, the outside of that, I end up, I'm hiking, I'm in stillness, I'm connecting with nature. And that's, that's actually chapter 11 in, in Reinvented Life is called stillness. And so I practice that all the time because I think that that's, that's the play. And funny enough, that's where a lot of these ideas flow. Where do they come from? You can guess, but that's, that's where I find it. So I spend a lot of time there. Uh, it's, it's where I find it. It's my happy space, if you will. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Now, what is one thing that most people don't actually know about you? Uh, the thing that they don't know about me. That's good. Most people don't know that that part of my my journey was working in the Arctic Circle, dodging polar bears for a living, and which is a very stupid job, but it's something I did for six months. <laughs> very interesting. Okay, all right. And then, what about as far as a book? What book would you highly recommend our listeners should you know include in their library this year? There's a book by by George Leonard called Mastery, not the one by Robert Greene, which is also good, but there's a, the book by George Leonard who is also an Aikido practitioner, like I am. And, and it's it's about the the life journey of mastery, not just in martial arts, but really in life. That no matter what you're doing, no matter where you are, 
the 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 focus on mastery and not some type of perfection or some type of outcome, but the process of mastery is is really where all the juice in life is. And and that book is is the best I've ever seen. So I would recommend Mastery by George Leonard. Very cool. I'm definitely going to check it out. All right. Now, one of the things that we talk about, which I think you'll definitely agree with, is that the whole point of, you know, making money, having great investments, la, 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 is actually to have an extraordinary life. And so what is your advice for people that are focused and committed to building extraordinary lives? Having an extraordinary impact. Not only is that going to provide deep significance and and a, a feeling of of value that you've created for the world, but the, when you do that, the side effect ends up being material stuff. It ends up being money. Like that's we we we're, we're not money bees. We're honeybees. If you or, or like if you look at a bee, they don't chase. They have a side effect, and they they don't even think about it. But that, their side effect is they're pollinating everything, and what they're trying to do is they're they're going over there and they're they're playing with with the the flowers. We need to be thinking about our purpose. What is our purpose? It is not chasing money. Money is an absolute side effect. And I've, I've seen that where I chased it and it was force, which is my other favorite book, Power Versus Force. There's a force of chasing money and there's a power in purpose. And the power in purpose leads to all this money as a side effect at a 90 degree angle. And instead, most people are told, well, go get a job and make a bunch of money and save it in your retirement account. And now wrong, go find your purpose and, and fall in love with it. And all the other stuff will happen. And your that, that vision for your life will unfold. You have to trust it and you have to give it time. Excellent advice. And I agree completely. Excellent. All right. And then last but not least, Damien, if people want to get in touch with you, how can they find you? Best thing to do is, is to check out what we're doing and check me out on, on frametech.com. It's frametechtec.com. And you'll see you'll see some cool um you see some cool whiteboard videos and you and you'll see the story and what we're doing here in Arizona. But frametech.com is the great place to to connect with me and you'll you'll find the team and you'll and you'll be able to go deep. I think that that's that that's the essence of who I am. So if you want to know who I am, go see what what I'm building. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you being so transparent, humble, uh, really, and bringing a lot of insight and what I hope is, you know, very encouraging information for people to seriously listen to. So thank you very much, Damien, for coming on. Appreciate it. Thanks, Janet. Appreciate you having me. And for those of you that tuned in today, thank you for investing your time with us. I greatly appreciate it. Please don't forget to like, rate, and review the show and leave us some thoughts. Let us know what you'd like to hear more of. In the meantime, be bold, be strong, and keep moving forward. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.